Hello and welcome to another episode of the St. George's Rock and Stop, the official podcast of the Church of St. George, St. Martin, in Tailstrover, alongside the Chapelries of St. Mark and St. Monica's. I did that on one breath. And I am Lindsay Futers, your host on this exploration of faith during this time of crisis. And I'm joined as always by the director of our parish, the Archdeacon Rodney Whiteman, who today needs to answer for the entire Anglican Church in South Africa because no one else has a podcast like this. Uh, the Queen has passed, long live the King. What is the what is your response to, to, to the Queen's past and the Queen's legacy? Um, you know, uh, we I grew up with, uh, thanks Lindsay, good morning everybody, and thanks for joining us. I grew up with uh, a family that, family members and the generation of people that revered the Queen. They saw her as this graceful lady, and I'm not so sure what the date was, but of my aunts and my dad, my mom could recall when she had come to visit um, South Africa, but then she was just um, the daughter, she was the princess. And so, yeah, so there's quite a number of, of them that were all tied up. And remember, our, some of our people's names, uh, children's and, and aunties and uncles were named after these folk uh, as a way of, of, of honoring, uh, you know, them and so on. And I, I made a statement to my wife yesterday. I said, those of us who believe in Jesus as the savior of the world, uh, he died and um, was laid in a tomb and, and, and was really in response to what I was hearing on the radio yesterday um, about all the things that will happen as the queen is laid to rest, the ceremon ceremonial stuff around it. So I've had, I've had challenges in my own system, in my own mind around um, you know, a, 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 a political system um, where, you know, you have blue-blooded people according to the way that it's referred to, as well as the us minions down at the bottom who don't feature in those sort of realms. Um, I, in, in some ways, I, I, you know, I think we were bankrupt as a result of it. Um, because I think a whole lot of our original culture um, was sort of taken away from us and replaced um, by an English model, a colonial model. So, I mean, my family was conscientized in that. And, and, and sadly, we always thought that our, 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 our surname, like Whiteman, was attached to to Europe rather than to Africa, where we, we came out of. So there's a lot of, of tension within me. And I, I was challenged one, one day uh, when it was the Queen's birthday, and I was working in um, Fishhook. And most of those folk obviously had an attachment to, to the Queen and, and so on. And they asked if I would, if I would sing God Save Our Gracious Queen in the service. Uh, and that that hymn apparently is in our one of our prayer books. Sorry, one of our hymn books. And I said, look, and, this in, the prayer book. and it's in the prayer book. And in the prayer book, yeah. So I I I said, in terms of the context where I'm working, I have to 
honor and respect the people that I'm working with. And if that's what you want us to include, then I have no problem in doing that um, uh, because that's your context. Now, for years, we've grown up understanding that she was, as it were, the head of the Anglican Church communion, if I can put it like that. Um, and you sort of looked, I, I've, I've often, when, when, when news was made available how at certain um, high festivals where the royal family would attend church and so on, I've, I've really seen her as a, you know, when she, she is no doubt in her own person, a wonderful role model. Um, a person, there's a lot of grace about her. I, I must say, I, 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 more, more, um, I had a greater attachment to her mother than to her because her mother was just that granny figure that is so lovable and embraceable. And, and I mean, that's from a distance now. Mm -hmm. um, and also I've appreciated, you know, Elizabeth's speeches at some, at some points um, when, she, when she had to speak out as a leader. There's no doubt in my mind that, um, you know, she, she, she must have thought a lot about it and her speechwriters must have thought a lot about what they will say. Um, and it's interesting, isn't it interesting that we struggled in the church and still do with the whole issue of the role of women uh, in the leadership of the church, yet the queen was our leader. And we had to go through synods, various times of synods, just to determine whether God called women into this ministry, when in scripture, it, I think it's there, right in the Old Testament, you know, uh, the role that women played. The evangelical church mindset still questions that because of certain texts in the Bible. But anyway, I, I think that, that you know, in, in some ways, uh, there was an attachment to her and to the position that she held, and I think she held it gracefully. Um, but I am, I'm not a royalist, unfortunately. I don't sort of, uh, although it's interesting when I when I had an opportunity to do a sabbatical in England uh, and my family visited with me during that time, in terms of historical um, experience, yeah. I did want to see where the, what the palace looked like from the outside. I did want to have a glimpse of some of what they were presenting there. So it was my attachment to that. Um, one of the one of the things that we had, where we wrote about and studied was um, prophets, priests, and kings. Mm -hmm. uh, and so we were asked then to understand how those concepts and realities of the past fitted into modern day um, uh, uh, social structures. Uh, because I mean, we 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 we. We no longer had an attachment to the royal family in South Africa. So it was a president and a prime minister mm. and those kind of stuff. And we had to, to tune our minds into trying to understand why these roles were important, what they were doing, and, 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 and often the people fall short of it. But I think, you know, Elizabeth has held her own. I think Elizabeth has been an exemplary person. Um, when the public could see, I just think she did a, she did a, she did a, a bad turn with Diana, 
But of course, I'm only just reading what other people have researched and reflected upon. And so I'm probably is a bias from my side in terms of the journalists I was reading at the time. Mm. Uh, But I, I, I do think that even though not lots of reference was made to Elizabeth in our synods or anything like that, you know, because we were we weren't that focused on that. I think she, at the back of our mind, she still the she was still the person that was um, now and again we would then mention it. She was still the as it were the ceremonial head of our church. Yeah, um, I mean historically, you just go into like like the Anglican Church is the OG Brexit, like it's yeah. the original Brexit where Henry Tudor was like, "Yo, um, I'm." done with with all of the it was it wasn't even just the marriage and his lust for Anne Boleyn it was the political systems at the time and how the the feelings of of the isle <laughs> that they were now being controlled um and Henry himself having his life determined outcomes determined by a pope sitting you know miles Thousands. I don't actually know how far the Vatican is from. <laughs> Although at that time was it the Vatican? I think the Vatican was still the center. Anyway, and he split from the Catholic Church, and hence, like an entire government system was born, an entire independent system, and it wasn't necessarily Protestant as well. It was still aligned with all of the the customs of of the Catholic Church. Just <laughs> he had to. Imp- he had to place himself at the top between God and, and the people. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and I mean, that, that's why that, that royal family is still relevant today because of moves like that. Yeah. Um, and then, like, even if you read into, into the Diana drama where the Spencer family is actually higher in the picking order than the Windsor family when it comes to, like, the original, like, Tudor line sort of thing. And then things like start really getting complex. And then, yeah, I, I just enjoyed um, the Irish this week. Uh, over the last two days, it, it has been a joy to watch um, generational trauma <laughs> get processed on the global platforms that we have today. Like there was at a football game, people were singing, the entire crowd started breaking out in Lizzie's in a box. In a box, Liz in a. It was incredible. <laughs> <laughs> Irish Twitter and Irish TikTok has been on absolute fire, and then that emboldened like all the other oppressed nations who have felt the the fist of 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 colonialism um, to be brazen in their disdain for 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 that kind of thing. And I I am a I am a proponent of free speech. I will fight to the death to maintain your ability to say what is on your mind. Yeah. I am not necessarily, even if I do not agree with it. Um, and it's been amazing to watch. And and there has been the pushback. I, th- I had a troll come at me um, because I, I just mentioned, like, imagine being a wannabe first, like, developed nation um, with so much history, and now you have to edit your your national anthem because someone with no political power died. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then you like look at the, the economic fallout as well now of having to change the currency, like everything, the the um, the burden on the taxpayer 
the English, the British taxpayer for a royal passing is insane. And I mean, these this family is supposed to be like the big breadwinner when it comes to tourism. Yeah. But now it's it's like it's like Tyler Durden said in in Fight Club. Um, the things you own end up owning you. So now the the poor British public needs to pay for that. Mm. I know my stint, my time in, in in engagement in the little context that I worked in. You know, they were those who were anti uh, anti royalty because yeah. of the challenge of the taxation to feed them. And I mean, I remembered somebody in Fishuk when I raised those things with him. He said, "But think about the kind of money she brings in just because she is who yes. she is." You know. But you know, I mean, I, I, it's sad that you, 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 you know, that we, 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 we uh, uh, enjoy the death of our enemy. That humanity goes that way. Um, but, but she was, she's associated with a system of oppression. So yes. there's no way that she can get out of that. Um, it was her, it was her heritage. What, what was she supposed to do? Um, you know, do she continue to honor her ancestors and, and the line of history that they had created? Because look, here in our Anglican church, we are still governed by Cranmer's understanding of liturgy. Yeah. He's revered, he's, he's honored as a very important person in the in liturgical history and development. So whenever we think of liturgy in the Anglican church, we go back to Cranmer. Um, and and see him as a vital link. And how is his influence now? Oh well, uh, that was Middle Ages, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I mean, they, we are still governed by that first prayer book that mm-hmm. came over from there and was translated as the 1652, I think it was 1652 South African prayer book, but very much on the on the English model, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was only later on that we developed other liturgies that were more contemporary-minded and seemingly more contextual. Um, but again, you know, it, uh, we also governed by the King. We're governed by the King James Version as the original reading text that that people had to read in church from. Yes. Um, but but you know there was then new translations came in, but that affected the whole world, not just um, mm. just us. Um, but I don't, I don't, I don't know whether people realize how much influences we've had, visibly and invisible, at uh, mindset development and and all of that by the influences we've had, colonialism, mm. apartheid. Um, you know, I mean, I look back. To my dad and my mom, to my grandparents that that I knew, and all I can see is England, England, England. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was raised in St. Mark's at St. Mark's Cape Town, and all that I could feel there was England, England, England. The only thing that I understood to be some kind of South African flavor was that after church on Sunday morning, we would go around to uh, my dad's aunt. And that would be coffee and sisters. So that's the, the ultimate fiction. form of South African yeah. heritage. <laughs> yeah, but now, but now the thing is, you see, we 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 we've got a king now. Mm. You know, we've already had problems with 
his relationship with Diana because a lot of us revered Diana and thought she was given a, a raw deal. Yeah. We we and and, and dear old Camilla was Queen Consort. Yeah. Queen Consort Camilla Parker Bowles. So is she going to become the queen now? No, she's Queen Consort. Uh, she can't be the queen because um, she comes from a. She was formerly married and she wasn't a virgin and 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 and, and. all these things that. It was the reason why they couldn't wed in the beginning. Uh, it was the reason for the whole Diana drama was because she <laughs> was married. <laughs> yes, she was a married woman. Okay. Um, and then, then Charles was supposed to marry Diana's older sister, uh, but he was like not into that so much. And then they forced him to just marry a Spencer, and that was Diana. And yeah, that was a, a loveless marriage from the beginning, and that that lovelessness, many people say, um, was what ended up in the situation that we had. That ended up in a depression, which then actually added to her legacy because it was when she finally confronted that situation where she used the platform to champion the, the cause of the colonies um, of the developing nations, especially in Africa, the landmine drive that she was on, like all those sorts of things to kind of rid the continent of the the remnants of colonialism, the, the scars mm. to heal some of the scars of, of the royal family's influence, um, or at least the British Empire's influence, uh, was ultimately what put her at odds with the Queen. Mm. Um, and then leads to all of those conspiracy theories that we are not going to get into now uh, because we have more controversial things to deal with uh, on this, the 14th Sunday after Pentecost. It's still the season of creation. The theme for this week is water justice, but the theme for the actual liturgy that you have selected is they carry in their hearts a great hope. Uh, can you unpack where you got this theme from and what's going to be happening uh, with the, the youth ministry? In, in my research for, for youth prayers, relevant youth, youth prayers, I picked this up from um, an, a Roman Catholic-based uh, um, uh, focus on prayers for young people. And I used, the, the, this comes from a prayer I used the week before, the very first Sunday of, of, um, of September. And in there, I saw this, these words that just sort of gripped my attention as to say, what do, what kind of theme could I choose from? And, and um, as, as the prayer unfolds, it has this theme of God sort of turning his eyes on young people and, um, and then recognizing what qualities they may have within them at such a youthful age. And this is... The, one of the lines that comes from that prayer um, that I thought was very, um, I, I thought had great um, potential as a theme to to speak about in terms of encouraging young people to take up their place in the church, to recognize that they've got a voice and that they are they are full being full members. Therefore, take responsibility for ministries. Uh, in order to build up the church. So, yes, that's where I got it from. Okay, cool. Uh, the biggest controversy we have in the liturgy today is 1 Timothy chapter 1, 
verses 12 to 17. So Timothy was an apostle of Paul. So given my history on this podcast about Pauline uh, theology, so he learned from like the dude who took a very extreme idea of, of Christianity and then was installed as what was he, the first bishop of, of Ephesus. Ephesus. And yeah, he was very, he was foundational in like the Christianity that you know and, and probably love today. Uh, but this dude took Paul's extreme takes and he went a little bit further, um, <laughs> especially with, with gender roles and, and, and those sorts of things. And like there's, there's a lot of quotes from this liturgy and from the gospel, which have been historically like problematic and used for different things. So like the gospel is according to Luke chapter 15 verses 1 to 10. Um, and it's now the tax collectors and sinners were coming to listen to Jesus and the Pharisees and scribes obviously had a problem with this. And they were like, yo, this fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. And so he told them the parable, which of you, which one of you having a hundred sheep and losing one of them does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders and rejoices. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. So my question is twofold. One, do you persist? in recording these podcasts with me because I am the one sheep that you want to bring back to repentance. By no means. <laughs> 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 I, 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 I value the friendship that you and I have developed. That's the, 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 the one thing that I want to emphasize. Mm -hmm. um, I value the fact that we can explore biblical texts in the context of liturgy um, from, from, deep, from angles that, you know, one doesn't always engage when you're busy, uh, let's say, preparing a sermon or Bible study. Um, I, I enjoy the challenge you, you bring to the table and you enable me to think a little deeper about uh, what uh, what a different way of reading this text uh, br brings. Um, I think that your the conversations that I've had with you around the text has actually strengthened my resolve to hold on to the text as a reference point for me. Um, uh, when we when we look at the texts, we are looking, in my view, at the whole Bible in one setting, as it were, represented by the various readings. And, and then, in a way, has given me a sense of deepening my own spirituality, my own sense of the importance of Jesus to life, um, and my own sense of, um, you know, being challenged to think a little bit more deeper about uh, God and about life and about um, what 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 goes on. So this is not a proselytizing experience for me. It's a way of saying, um, um, based on friendship, it's a way of of of, of having a conversation 
uh, about a very important um, literature for me, for my own spiritual life, and and that as a message for the world uh, as well as Chloe. Thank you very much. That's very kind. That is very kind. Um, I, I appreciate you too. I, I enjoy these conversations. I like exploring the the human experience from various angles and having a a common ground in understanding, or at least just having a passage to reflect on, where both of us can bring out different ideas, gives great insight into um, parts of humanity that I may lack within myself. Um, and can experience through you. So yes, I, I also do appreciate this. So, but in the context of this, um, what, what are your feelings then on, you know how this gets interpreted um, and you have people actively campaigning um, to convert uh, Muslims or whatever, convert people to Christianity based on this exact parable. How, how do you feel about those kinds of, of readings of the story? And I mean, even like this liturgy is going to be preached throughout South Africa um, this this week. There's going to be preachers just like you reflecting on these words, and you know that they are colleagues who will be using this from a more militant perspective. Yeah. I'm going to start by saying that I was in a conference one day where the church was actually the University of Western Cape had invited the churches um, and whoever it was interested in the whole question about um, homosexuality and and um, and the unions between same-sex uh, in same-sex unions kind of thing mm-hmm. and one of the speakers was um, a guy who was trained at the University of Stellenbosch as a Dutch reform minister who was asked to give his testimony. Peter Oberholster gave his testimony of his journey and the pain he went through because struggling with his own sexuality, going to the chaplain for help, receiving prayers for healing uh, in terms of how it was understood then and even understood today, having then to go and see the psychologists and psychiatrists at Falkenberg Hospital, going through all the forms of so-called treatment yeah. to yeah. to rid himself of this particular evil in him, in inverted commas, and then never being able to find that healing. Does that therefore mean God has rejected him? Um, mm. And so he, he he continued. He was ordained, um, and <clears throat> but he he said, "This is who I am. I can be no other." One person got up in the auditorium and said that he was part of the gay scene for thirty odd years, and God saved him, and he's now married happily with three children. And this was what we am coming to. Oberolster said something that was very dynamic. Oberolster said, you know, my brother, I'm so glad that God did that for you. And I am I'm, I'm rejoice with you for that, that transition and that conversion that, you know, had come upon your life. He said, but, but you know what God had to save me from? God had to, had to save me from my anger 
towards myself. Yeah. yeah. Now that was one of the lights shone for me on what is it that we need to be saved from. And 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 um and again, you know, we explored the question last week or the week before last. In our lives, do we need salvation? Uh, do we need rescue? Um that plays itself off in the material world. Um, you could be rescued from unemployment, for example, by getting a job. You could be rescued from a car accident or whatever it is. You, you know, it plays itself off in, in that and those materials. You could be um, taken out of a very dangerous situation and rescued from that. But when we're talking about uh, salvation in spiritual terms. What what we what are we talking about is that it's we under we are we understand that as part of a fallen humanity, we affected by original sin, or we have behaviorisms and attitudes and actions that does reflect um, on one some parts that which is not healthy in terms of relationship building in a better world. But it also, um, when we look at the creeds, the creed that the young people will have to respond to today, we say, do you believe and trust in God who made the world? The renunciation is, as we believe and trust in the God who made the world, we renounce those who destroy what God has created. So we have to be saved. We, we, we have to be saved from, from climate change. So, so we look then deeper. We look deeper into ourselves and say, what is it about us that makes us so destructive some of the time? And so we need rescue from that because does pure willpower change us or transform us? Now, I am guided by the Great Commission of Matthew chapter, uh, chapter 28, verse 16 to 20, where Jesus, after resurrection, said, go into all the world, make disciples of all nations, and uh, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And um, lo, I'm with you to the end of the age. Teach them to observe all that I've taught you. So he, that was the commission he gave to the disciples um, in one of the accounts of his appearance after the resurrection. question, of course, is, what does that mean? Do we go and beat up people and rob them a year? The whole display of you know colonialism comes in. So the colonial army was sent out by the king or the queen or whatever it is, bashed up whatever nation they were, then brought in the church, and so the 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 church um, you know won many people but colonialized them yeah. um, because those people that they conquered became slaves. They, they became slaves. Um, but it's very interesting that there's a, a phrase in our, in our history that says, you know, they, they, they came brandishing the Bible with a sword in their hand. Uh, what they didn't expect us to do is to take hold of the Bible and now we are able to proclaim from our side the story of justice because that's also part of the saving plan of God. Now, do I go out intentionally to um, 
to 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 proselytize? Um, or am I just there as a minister to those who already have accepted Christ and seek to follow him as members of the church and help them to grow their relationship and their faith in God and to learn more in community? But I'm also moved by that which says, I need to go out. Now, how am I meant to make disciples? Is it by the witness of my life? In what I believe is, is coming forth in my life? Is it um, going out and saying, now you better follow Jesus, otherwise you're going to hell. Is it that kind of a, a, a what's the name approach? I don't think that's the approach I must have. I think that we... There's a little text in scripture that says <clears throat> if, a, if, a, if, a, if a man, if a husband is not sort of following the faith, but the woman is, the only way that she can help him is by her example, not by forcing him to believe in the way she wants him to believe, but through her example, um, the possibility of him then realizing the value of, of what she believes in her life, then she then she wins him over that that then is his response to what he sees and hears in and through her. Yeah. So for yeah. me, that's the that's the, 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 the crux. Go out into all the world to love in peace, to love and serve the Lord. That's the, the clarion call of every Eucharistic service. Yeah. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. And you're serving the Lord when you are engaging your fellow human beings and all of creation. If through that testimony of life, people feel that they want to know more about Jesus, why Jesus has an impact in our lives. Yes, we do. Now, it's not only members who come and hear us preach. It is not. The platforms of engagement is also through, let's say, the work of the South African Council of Churches, where the church is involved in social issues, where the church has to speak truth to power based on its scriptural text and its prophetic message. Yeah. So yeah. what did Jesus go and do in this text? <clears throat> that it's quite obvious that 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 a sheep who doesn't seem to 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 that wanders away. It's possible that that happens. So what does Jesus do? He becomes present. He goes looks for the sheep because he's interested in the in the life of that sheep. So he goes out there in the rough terrains to find that sheep and bring the sheep back in his yeah. arms. Um, bringing him back into the fold because that's where he originally was. Hmm. The possibility of people going astray is important. So I want to end off in my response with this. There was a story told, but again, this is inside the church. Of a man who was a member and who felt that he, you know, he wasn't really interested in the way the church was behaving. But anyway, the priest went to visit him and the man was not well. So the priest went to visit him and he was sitting at, they were sitting at the fire. No words were spoken. He was just present to the man. And um, he got up. The priest got up, took a tongs of the tongs that they used to, to take the coal. Yeah. And the shift the coal, and he took one of the coals out of the fire and left it on the outside 
for a few moments and then the fall of the 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 the, the piece on its own just sort of began to fizzle in its warmth in its um glow and all of that and then got up and put the cold piece of coal back again and then greeted the man and left and the story is told that the man then returns to church <laughs> of course we can look at that in many many ways but it was just the way he brought that message out there was a response to it um is that how we win people uh that in community you are you are you possibility of you being you know growing being blessed by just having a sense of other people with you engaging the message that is being proclaimed there <clears throat> not to believe everything but to develop your own system of beliefs through engagement with others and if that if if you use is a common text which is the bible then talk from that you know perspective and so on it's about engaging people not forcing people not beating them into hell if they don't accept your message yeah. i don't yeah. think anywhere in the gospels jesus ever did that but if you even look at the context <laughs> with, within this passage where it's now the pharisees and the scribes who are asking the question yeah and jesus is responding to them and it's it's always like who is the lesson for yes is yes. the lesson for us the reader is the lesson for the reader to say that you must now go through whatever it takes to win back like people or is the lesson for the the hearers on the other side of this dialogue where it's like you must be more inclusive with your preaching like the message isn't just for the believers it's for everybody and and that's the context that gets lost uh, because it's 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 not the it's not the sexy outcome it's not the ideal outcome you know for most militant christians who want to believe that their tribe is superior you know and like those nuances are always missed with within these these kinds of challenging readings now you are right and i think i think you know when you when you do some in in uh, deep reading of this you you the nuances you could talk about we must bring into the frame yeah. because who were the people who were the antagonists of uh, towards christ and that was the religious sector of the time mm-hmm. it wasn't and necessarily the political sector it was those who um saw him as a threat to the way they understood it and and i think jesus still stands as a threat to many um so called christian development in in the world i think jesus still his presence and the way he was would still challenge the way we, i think personally that one of the important aspects of the gospel is the choice between following jesus and following the religious right yes, yes. and the line is fine because jesus did say don't do what they do but listen to what they speak because he still valued the the letter of the law which he believed in in the mount of the mount the the, the sermon on the mount 
I come to fulfill the law, not to destroy the law. Yeah. So mm -hmm. yes, I think that's a very important nuance. And I think it's a critique uh, towards the church because, you know, um, I think in one, in, one, in one sense, they had it right. This fellow welcomes sinners. That's exactly what Jesus was about and yeah. seems to have fellowship with them. That was what he's about. And, you know, Desmond Tutu used to talk about um, God, Jesus, had the, Jesus had the bias towards sinners, towards those that were excluded. They were labeled sinners because they were not Pharisees and scribes. So, and, and there's churches that operate on the same axis today. Yeah. And yeah. you can actually see the arrogance in, in, some, in some of this arrogance in all of us. Um, when we hold fast to our tradition without saying, let's listen to the wider thing. That's why I think I value the statement of the Anglican church being what they call beer media, middle of the road, where we are able to experience others, take what is of value, uh, discard what is not, and yeah. enrich yeah. ourselves thereby. Help. Hopefully what we also bring out of it you know, are seeds that can that can grow for the benefit of all. So you are right. I think that we do sometimes just read texts uh, that favor us mm -hmm. rather than read the whole text with its context. Um, but I think, as I said, for me, the challenge of the gospel is either you follow Jesus or you follow the religious right as represented in the gospel text. Yeah, that is a, a, an interesting distinction there. So that leads me to the question of like, if Jesus was walking around today, if Jesus was in Cape Town, in Kales River, and Jesus came to, you invited Jesus, because he would have been quite a, 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 he would have been quite active in, in like ministry and that sort of thing. And you invited him to speak at St. George's. Do you think he would have, a contrarian lesson for you, a revolutionary message for you that flies in the face of how the church operates now? I, I think he would. I think he would. I think because um, one is already challenged by whether we are actually keeping to what we have in narrative form mm -hmm. around the things that he says and the way he was. But I think he would invite us to take the next step um, and not to just be comfortable where we are um, in our reading of scripture, in our tradition, in our reasoning, in our experience. Jesus will want us to go the next level, not just stay there. Experience what we need to experience and see the radical call forward. Um, because look, there is, there, is, there is no way that we, if, we, we, we can fully live the gospel every day. Uh, we try to do as much as we can, but we, we, there's such a mystery around the message itself. And he's calling us into deeper mystery to discover, mm -hmm. to experience um, uh, uh, what one, what the fullness of God. And yet that's, that's a, in a progressive way. So I think he yeah. would call us from our, um, from our, uh, our entrenchedness. He would call us into deeper faith. 
he would call us into deeper sense of ministry and vocation. He would, he would be radical. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I don't know. But you are calling someone to, to the, <laughs> the altar this week, so that might be a radical statement. It's a radical move, in, definitely, uh, because it's, what, what is it, youth? Is it Youth Ministry Sunday? What is it? It's Youth Month. Yes, youth, yes, yes. Youth. Anglican Youth. Yeah. I, I always thought that it is Youth Month for the Anglican Church of Southern Africa. Uh, or some people may think it's the first Sunday of September is Youth Month. Mm-hmm. But I, Youth Youth Sunday, but I, I interpreted this as Youth Month in the Anglican Church. That is why <clears throat> I had him talk on the 16th of June, that in that part of uh, the Watson, I had another young person also speak to both congregations. Yeah. Um, and, and I mean, equally good. So it is a focus on young people um, and their place in church. And I mean, confirmations happen in September month. So that's a good mm-hmm. connection, I think, that we have. Yeah. So yes, yeah. I'm waiting to hear, you know, my engagement with Keenan himself. Um, uh, you know, that there's two wonderful journalists in my life who thinks out of the bo- outside of the box um, uh, and can make, uh, you know, bring challenges that are on are important for us to hear and to grow in our faith. So, yes, I'm looking for a radical message through Kenan as I look forward to the radical message in you every week. <laughs> but just to, to wrap everything up nicely with the bow and to release you to your, your confirmation duties today. Um, so, Timothy, just to highlight the hypocrisy and the cowardice within. I, I, I have no regard for Timothy as, as, as an apostle, as um, the, the words attributed to Timothy, the lessons, the teachings, the gospels, attributed to Timothy has been more destructive for society than even than Paul. Um, and here you have this dude in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 to 17. I give thanks to Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength for my work. I thank him for, my, for considering me worthy and appointing me to serve him, even though in the past I spoke evil of him and persecuted and insulted him. But God was merciful to me because I did not yet have faith and so did not know that what I was doing. And our Lord poured out his abundant grace on me and gave me faith and love, which which are ours in union with Christ Jesus. So this is a man. this This is just like the height of the cowardice. How did Timothy die? It says that he tried to halt a procession to honor the goddess Diana, which then obviously brings this conversation to a full circle, um, (laughs) (laughs) by preaching the gospel. And then the pagans dragged him through the streets and stoned him to death. So it's like you open up your vibe by saying how the grace was poured upon you uh, because you did not know what you were doing. But then you do not allow the rest of humanity the same freedom, you then go forth and you try and push your message forcefully upon people who are just going about their business. You know, <laughs> you you insert yourself in other people's narrative to the point where they were like, yo, dude, we actually need to get rid of you. Where do you stand on Timothy? Well, the way I understand what you've just read 
is that it was Paul writing to Tim. Yeah. Not Timothy actually writing this this letter. It was Paul writing to Timothy. Okay. And finding ways in which to encourage him as a young man um, in the work of the church. Okay. Um, so it, it's Paul who's saying all of these things. So this is after he's left him in, in Ephesus. Yeah, Ephesus. Yeah. Yeah. So, so now he's giving courage because look, as a young person, and you know this very well, <clears throat> people will challenge you if you stand out as a leader and check out how well-equipped you are to give leadership. Mm. And so, and so uh, it's possible that Timothy was going through a season of um, you know, which, which, I mean, go back to Jeremiah, where he was apparently too young to do what God was asking him to do. So in Tim, so in Timothy, we find the same kind of, um, I think the text that's most quoted from Timothy, besides what the word of God is, is God hasn't given us a spirit of fear or cowardness, but a spirit of power and of and of sound mind. Mm. So, so Timothy, this is the way you encourage to consider these things. So, this was Paul writing to Timothy to try and help him uh, with his leadership and to give him a pertinent uh, what's his name like. This is a true saying to be completely accepted and believe Christ came into the world to save sinners. That's the premise of Paul's. Uh, theology and of his teaching, I preach Christ crucified. So Timothy, this is what a Christian leader should should know about. These are the things you must be building your ministry around um, as you take leadership in the local church where you are. So, you know, Paul was now in a way um, mentoring Timothy um, mm -hmm. in ministry um, and 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 empowering with a message he could come back to consult, to reflect upon, um, and of course, uh, you know, um, he rose to the status of bishop. Uh, and remember, at that stage, there was not there was not a priest per, per se, the uh, episcopoi, and then you had the bishop, which was the person that the episcopoi, which was the person in charge of the church. You know, bishops weren't seen as they are now because Rome. Rome influenced the way we are now, but it was different in the way it was then, yeah. uh, you know. So this was Paul encouraging, mentoring, helping Timothy from his own experiences, hmm. his own journey. How so then, given that clerical error on my side, um, <laughs> that then just further entrenches my disdain for Paul. <laughs> then it's Paul who is the coward who then in the second epistle, like forces down messages. And I mean, at the time, like Nero was incinerating an entire city to kill off Christians. <laughs> so you can understand Paul's desperation, <laughs> almost. Uh, but yeah, like like both epistles, um, I was just kind of conflating the apoc apocryphal acts of Timothy with the, the epistles to Timothy. Sorry for that. Um, I own that little bit of ignorance. Uh, it 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 then just further underlines like the the distortion of the gospel teachings, where you have someone like Paul who is still within himself. He is his his natural state is one of oppression. It is one of of oppressing free thought. 
it is one of this is the law and I must enforce it. And I mean, that is his origin. And throughout the, this is now a toxic mentor inspiring a, a understudy. This is now creating, like in today's terms, it will be like all Elon Musk's followers who just hang on his every word, even though it might not be the best thing for the world, you know? And then, like from the Timothy Epistles, you get the, the woman must be submissive and all this stuff. So these are all the laws that that Paul is now passing down to his, his underling. And it's deeply problematic, as I've said before. And it's it 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 actually it leaves me at, at, at like a loss because every around every turn where you believe or I I I want to see a redemption story for Paul. I, I want to in myself reach a point where it's like, okay, cool. I understand that this is adding value. But I just don't. It's like it just gets worse. <laughs> like, and to to know that. And in, in a crazy amount of Christian doctrine is based on Pauline ministry. Like Paul laid the foundation for so much of what is believed, what is taught every single Sunday. And it's, it's crazy. Well, again, it, it, you know, when one reads this is the way I read this um, and understand it is Paul talking about his own uh, journey. From, from, as you say, his original self was this Pharisee. He's a Pharisee. He was schooled and groomed in that way. You you know how difficult it is once you've been, um, you know, shaped and formed and propagated in a particular kind of way. How difficult it is to break the bonds of that. So. I think I think Paul was I think Paul was being honest with his journey. I think Paul was grappling with his own journey. And I mean, when you were talking, I just heard he, the, that words which he's where he said, "I die daily." So mm -hmm. realizing that he's not complete in what he's doing, he was enthusiastic once he met Jesus. Things did change for him. So there's no doubt that. The, the legalism will still creep out, uh, but we've got to read it for what it is in terms of our understanding. It's, it's, the, it's him telling us, this is my journey. This is what I've discovered. Yeah. Um, I, th I think there's a level of honesty here about the fact that, I mean, here he says, I'm the worst of them. I mean, yeah. so so those are some of the things, And but God is merciful to me. So who is God to me? Uh, even though I was called and appointed to serve God, I'm not perfect. Perfect. Mm. I still have crazy biases that influence the way I speak uh, about a text or how I understand God, and that others would find uncomfortable uh, to 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 tell me about. But this is who I am, and I mean, I'm writing from prison cells. I'm having to think very deeply about. Yeah. Yeah about these things and what they mean. And then also, how am I meant to encourage uh, the churches that I helped start, that I had um, uh, visited, 
you know, what now becomes the starting point for me? And the starting point says Christ came into the world to save sinners. So that's central to his message. Um, but that doesn't mean he's complete in how that message will be carried out in his life and in his teachings and in his world. I am still the worst of sinners. I'm still, I'm still needing ongoing work of salvation in my own life, even as somebody who has to mentor people. And I think but you know, you understand the progression here, where like where one person was a like Paul was the ultimate fanboy, um, plainly. Um, his encounter with Jesus was a made-up story from from his perspective. There's no, there's no like historical documentation. You know, there weren't like other witnesses. <laughs> it's what he says, you know. Um, and then he radicalizes a Timothy. So, like, would Jesus have tried to stop the procession, that pagan procession? I, I use pagan just because of the context of, of what I'm speaking. I, I, I have no attachment to the word, <laughs> please. Um, would Jesus have done that? No, I do not believe that from the evidence that we have of Jesus, even in this gospel passage that we're dealing with today, Jesus would not have done that. Why was Timothy radical enough to insert himself into a situation, to insert the gospel, to insert his personal beliefs? Because that's what his mentor inspired him to be. Well, I can see the correlation given Paul's past. I can mm. see the correlation, but remember the, the the way that the way that the understanding of witness is. You will encounter what you will then see as something that is unhealthy to society. Yeah. If you are witnessing from your point of view and from your set of beliefs and understandings and so you your witness is to stand up to speak out against it um he was in a position of power i suppose that could could do that um if anything that happens in our world we sometimes ask ourselves why has the bishop not made a statement about this why has the archbishop not spoken out about it uh, why are they silent uh, what is the Christian voice and message in the big scheme of things? Um, you know, do, do does religion have a voice in society? Um, not just a voice when something happens, but an ongoing voice uh, of encouragement. Uh, uh, you know, working for for justice and peace. Um, you know, um, exercising tolerance you know in 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 ways so, but but your witness is also very radical in that there are things that would would you would understand to be a breakdown to society and we need to find a way to oppose that so yes i think that sometimes that part of witnessing is present um that you would stand up and talk out against the things that you think would break down in society um takes a lot of courage to do that because look there are proponents on every side um, but now the understanding of the radical witness of Jesus in our lives, how are we meant to present that? Um, you know, in the apartheid era, there were Christians on, there was a claim that we are Christians on both sides of the, of the divide. 
So we were using the same Bible, but we were speaking against what was being proclaimed, what was being proclaimed mm -hmm. politically. Um, did we did we have to keep silent about that? Or did we have to stand up? Because there were church traditions in apartheid time that refused to speak up. Yet when we went into the new, new democracy, it was those same reverence that wanted to become political leaders now because the money was there. Hmm. You see, so re religious people play games. Yes. Religious yeah. people play games. But when it also comes to the cost of your own life and you died because you stood up for a truth you believed in, um, a truth that you were shaped and formed in, in which you didn't cause any harm to others, but tried to inspire them for the good. Is that a bad testimony? Ooh. <laughs> uh, we will once again end this on agreeing to disagree. <laughs> well, it's not really a disagreement. Like there's a, I mean, there's, 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 Everything is gray. There's no black and white. Um, you you extract the the value that the Pauline way has has brought to to the world in the way that has shaped Christianity. Um, and I, I reject him as being a, a toxic fanboy that distorted um, what was a very poor message, a pure message, sorry, poor message, a pure message to begin with. And and I think. I think my exploration through this, these last couple of weeks has been the understanding of, like, maybe my disdain for Paul is the crux of my challenges with with, with Christianity. And for that, I thank you. And this has been a lovely conversation. I just want to add, if I may, just one line and just say that, yes. you know, there are, they are theologians who struggle with Paul. There's no doubt about it. But the value I see in him, he lays in the line, lies in the line of what he wrote to Timothy, because that's, I think, what the road of Damascus had. And by the way, it was Luke who captured that story. So there must have been other witnesses. <laughs> he says, Christ no Jesus. Was there. <laughs> Christ, no, there was others. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. So in, in, in the, the point that, that I'm seeing through Paul is, is Christology. He's pointing to Christ, and that's what I'm, as the hope for the world, that's what I am want to end up with. Thank you very much. This has been another fruitful conversation. It's wound its way from our thoughts and feelings on, on, on Elizabeth. Mm. And, yeah, it, it's, never, it's never good to, to, to dance on other people's graves. May she rest in peace indeed, ne? May she rest in peace. Yeah. Hey, the family... Try and undo some of the, the things that she failed to undo. Mm -hmm. Only hope we always move forward. Uh, as always, all the prayers and choice verses are in the podcast description. You can find it all there. And thank you very much for listening. Please share this with anyone who you believe it will add value. Thanks, Lindsay. Thanks, everybody. Blessings. <laughs>